All right. Well, good morning again. It's good to be together this morning. And I wish, I wish you could be up front to hear uh, your voices as we worship together and sing the name Emmanuel over and over again. Man, we gather here uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, but I think you'll agree with me, the chief reason we come together every week is to worship the one who is Emmanuel, the King of Kings, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Uh, that's who we come together today uh, to worship. Hey, um, quick question. How many of you in the room um, are parents? Just show of hands. How many parents in the room? Okay, a large number of parents. Uh, how many of you in the room are grandparents? Okay, if you're a grandparent in the room, all right, good deal. And then how many of you in the room have uh, younger brothers or sisters, younger siblings? Okay. All right, good. All right, so the vast majority of us, I think, can gather around this because a lot of us will know, like, on one level or another level, uh, what it's like to, to wait for a child to be born. I mean, there's nothing like it, and there's no way to short-circuit the process. It's nine months no matter how you cut it, right? I mean, it takes time for a child to grow and develop and mature and to be able to sustain, sustain life outside of the womb. And so we know what it's like to wait and to have that sense of expectancy and to just, you know, there's nothing like it when you get to hold a child for the first time and, and you, you reach down and you put your little finger there in the palm of their hand and, and they wrap their little fingers around your one finger and it's just this awesome moment as we get to behold a child, a newborn baby for the first time. I remember what it was like when uh, my wife Alicia and I were uh, expecting our first child. Um, so this was several years ago. Like, how old are you? Nine years, nine years ago-ish. <laughs> I don't know. After three, you just forget. <laughs> and uh, we're getting ready to have that first child. And we were, this will be our first child. So first time parents, we didn't know what to expect, you know. And nine months seemed like forever. And we lived in Alabama. So Alicia is pregnant during the Alabama humidity and heat of the summer. Uh, Will is going to be born in August. And so we're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And we do what you do. When you're preparing to have a child, and, and a lot of you know this, this rhythm, this routine. At first, you know, you go to the doctor every three months for the checkup to make sure everything's on track and going good and where it's supposed to be. And then you get a little closer and you start going every month and you, the checkups get a little more regular and you're going and going and going. And then you start going every week as you get nearer and nearer that, that time when the baby's going to be born. And we're doing that and we're tracking right along. And Alicia's measuring, you know, uh, a little ahead of schedule. We don't know what's going on. The doctor thinks this is going to be a big baby, Right. And so we get to that, that 39th week appointment and uh, he takes out his tape measure or whatever that thing is and he's measuring to see how far along she is. And he's like, you know what? You're not showing any signs of labor. We need to induce. So what you're gonna do is go home and get that bag you packed. Uh, go have one last meal, uh, not last, you know what I mean. <laughs> have a, a milkshake or whatever you want, a good, a good dinner. And, uh, and then tonight, you know, around the 11 midnight, check in to the, the hospital and, um, and we'll, we'll get ready for this. And so we do, we go home, grab the bag. We, we're calling friends and family. Hey, you know, tomorrow is gonna be uh, uh, the day we're gonna go tonight and check in the, in the hospital and it's gonna be awesome. And so we, we do that. We, we get home, grab the bag. We go over to our favorite restaurant, grab hamburgers and fries and milkshakes. And, and we're just so we're just giddy with excitement. You know, we're, we just can't wait for this. And so we get to the hospital that night. We get into this really elaborate, nice room. Alicia gets this incredible soft bed, all the blankets she wants, medicine to sleep to the night. I get this dilapidated chair to like a half inch of foam and some old you know carpet they put down for the, the the husband to sleep on right the father to sleep on. And I don't know why I'm complaining, but it's just my one chance. And. Uh, <laughs> 
They didn't offer me any drugs, you know, and they come in every hour to check the monitors and do the beeps and blurps. And I'm like awake half the night dealing with that. And she's sleeping comfortably over there. I'm like, what's up with this? You know, anyway, I don't know why, but uh, we do that. And the next morning we get ready and the doctor comes in and, and here we go. And it's time. And we're excited. And, and, and again, it's, it's kind of nerve-wracking because we've never done this before. We're first-time parents. We don't know what to expect. We don't know how the day is going to go. Friends and family are gathering in the waiting room outside. And, and I'm going back to report like every few minutes on what's happening and how far along she is and, and when we think the baby will be born. And, and this is taking longer than expected. Like the first child apparently takes a little while to get, you know, make its way out. You know, thanks, Will, for that. And um, the only thing that kept us going, though, or one of the funny things that kept us going was our nurse. Our nurse was like the sweetest lady uh, you've ever met, but she could not get Alicia's name right to save her life, right? The whole time uh, she keeps calling uh, my wife, whose name is Alicia, Ashley. And so she's like, come on, Ashley, you're doing great. And we're like, and we're like no, 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 uh, her name's Alicia. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And like two or three times we go through this routine of correcting her, like, no, her name is Alicia, but she keeps calling her Ashley. And finally we just give up and we're like, okay, we'll be Ashley for today. And so every time she's encouraging Ashley to have our baby. And by the way, we didn't find out the gender of our child, of any of our children. So we didn't know if it was gonna be a boy or a girl. And she was convinced that our baby was gonna be a girl. So the entire time we're going through this arduous, long, nerve-wracking experience of having a baby, our nurse is calling Alicia Ashley, encouraging her to breathe and push to have our baby girl. And none of that was right. (laughs) And we just had to laugh the whole way through it. And so we did that. And then finally, our baby boy was born, William Luke Emanuel Trevath. And then the nurses get him and take him over and they put him on the scale. And you could hear this collective gasp throughout the room when the head nurse read the scales. He's nine pounds, one ounce. And everybody's like, what? What? He's huge. He came out of a linebacker. So we called the recruiters and told them to get ready, right? It's it's one of those experiences that um, waiting for a child and having a child is just, it's amazing. And then to hold your newborn child for all of those, all of you who are parents in the room, to hold that baby child, your child for the first time and to look into their face and to behold Uh, This infant that is in your arms, it's a miracle. It truly is a beautiful, beautiful miracle, this gift that a child is. I I think we all know what it is on one level or another to wait, to have to wait for something. Um, But we don't like waiting, do we? I mean, we live in a culture that gives us instant access to almost everything we want. And so we want new clothes, we go get them. We want a new whatever, we go get it. We just, whatever we want, we want food, we go down the street. We just, we go pick up, we go buy, we have access to whatever we want. We're not in a culture that likes to wait. And so we don't like to wait. Uh, we prefer to have things our way right away and have them quickly. We, we don't like to wait, do we? I, I remember this time of year was, of course, as a kid, one of my favorite times of year. And I don't want to give any of our kids ideas, but... Being the delinquent children that me and my sister were this time of year, uh, we loved to go around the house after mom came home from the store to search for where the packages were hidden. And so, you know, we looked under the bed, we looked in the top of the closet, we're parting her dresses, we're trying to figure out where in the world she's hiding those Christmas gifts because we didn't want to wait. We wanted to know right then what we were going to get on Christmas morning. We don't like to wait, do we? And, and, And some of us, even those of us in the room who don't like to shop, all right, so all the men in the room. Um, this time of year, we do it. We go out, we go shop. And do you know what the worst part of Christmas shopping is? At least for me. 
For me, the worst part of Christmas shopping isn't finding the gift. It isn't, it isn't, you know, all the work it takes to figure out what to get and then to go get it. It's not even the traffic. The thing I hate most about Christmas shopping is, is waiting in line to make your purchase. Are you with me on this? And what's more maddening than anything else is when you go up to checkout, you found the gift, you're ready to get it, and you're ready to get out, and you walk up, and there are 35 checkout lines, and three are open. You know, what's, what's up with that? And so you have to wait like an hour to make your purchase. We don't like to wait. We're not a people that like to wait. And the truth is, we don't like to wait on people. And if we're honest, we don't like to wait on God either. And the truth for us is, is that we have enough resources at our disposal that truth be told, we don't often have to wait on God. Like if we need something fixed, we have, we have the resources, the means, the ability of the relationships nine times out of 10 to fix it ourselves. And so we don't really wait on God. You know, we, we, we know what we should do. We should pray and then we should plan and then we should get on with those plans and proceed. But what we do because we can, is we just start doing what we want to do, and then we'll get a plan to make it all work together. And if it doesn't work, then as a last resort, when all else has failed, we pray. Because we don't like to wait on people, and we don't like to wait on God. So can you imagine what it would have been like if you grew up your entire life hearing stories about a God who did amazing miraculous, wonderful, awesome things. And you've heard for years and years growing up that one day this same God was gonna come and do for you what he did for those who came before you. And you've read prophecies and you've read stories about a time when this same God was going to send a Messiah, a savior. And in fact, you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and that savior never came. Oh, you heard the stories about the Exodus, about Egypt, about how, how your ancestors were, were, were captive and then God delivered them through 10 miraculous signs into freedom, into a holy and promised and beautiful land. And you heard stories about the ancients, about people like, uh, like Abraham and Sarah, like Isaac, like Jacob. You heard stories about what God did through others, like prophets, like Isaiah, like, like Elijah, like Elisha. You heard stories about what God did through the judges, like, like Samson, like Deborah, these awesome men and women of God, all throughout the story of God who had done great things on behalf of God and because of God. And now you're stuck and the situation is dire and not only have you never seen God do anything, for the last 400 years, it's silence. And if there's anything that we hate worse than waiting, it's silence. Just try it sometime. Turn off every device, get into a place where there is no noise, and see how long you can sit and be still and be silent. We don't like it. We don't like to wait and we don't like to be silent. And that's why maybe for you and me, one of the hardest spiritual disciplines is to do just that, to sit still before a holy God and not to talk, not to read, but to be still to be silent before him. It's one of the hardest things you and I struggle with because we don't like to wait 
And we don't like the silence. And for the past 400 years, people have been waiting, waiting, waiting. My parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents tell me stories about who this God is, but I've never seen him and I've never heard him. And now we're living in a world where the oppressor has changed, but the situation is the same. And our lives, man, we're in need, desperate need of a Savior. And then, this is a story, isn't it? Don't you love the story? And then, on one holy night, the silence is broken. God breathes the same air that you and I breathe. And we hear his voice. And it's, it's not a thunderous voice. It's not a voice that sends shimmers down anyone's spine. The sound that breaks the silence is the sound of a baby's first cry. Matthew, I love Matthew. Matthew tells the story this way. In Matthew 1, he says this. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her fiance, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. This is the part of the story that we struggle with because we're like, come on, Joseph, don't do that. You and I know how the story goes. He doesn't yet. And he's just, he's just doing what he should do, to be honest. This is what he's supposed to do. So he's considering doing this quietly because he doesn't want to embarrass Mary. And as he considered this, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. And he took Mary as his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And Joseph named him Jesus. Don't you love this story? Can you imagine Mary? Mary, as she gives birth to her son, who's not just her son, but is the son of God. Can you imagine Mary as she held her newborn infant son for the very first time in her arms? As she put her finger in his palm and those little fingers wrapped around her finger, and she realizes she is holding God. She is holding the Son of God. Can you imagine what she must have felt in this moment as she holds the infant child in her arms? Can you imagine Joseph? Joseph who's in the room and he takes him into his arms. And did you notice this wrinkle in the story? The angel said, Joseph, I want you to name him. For him to name him is, is sort of a sign of adoption. It's a rite of passage. And so Joseph is going to be the father of Jesus in a very real, earthy way. 
And Joseph gets to name him Jesus. Jesus, which literally means he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, of course, is is the way we say it. In the Greek, it's Jesus. And then in the original language that, that Mary and Joseph would have spoken, they would have said Yeshua. Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. And as they held baby Yeshua in their hands and in their arms, Matthew's reminded of this prophecy from Isaiah. And he brings it forward all these years to recount what God has been promising all along, that there will be a child and he will be a savior and his name will be Emmanuel, which literally means God is with us now. God is with us now. I would imagine that Mary and Joseph probably had the exact same worries and concerns that any first-time parents had. I mean, you're holding your child and you're worried about every, every coo and every cry. You're worried about every time they wiggle and every time they turn. You're worried about the, the color of their skin and, and everything that's going on with them. You're, 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 you're hyper-concerned because you don't know what to expect and what to do. And so you're watching every moment, every move. You're hearing every noise because you want to know that, that they're going to be okay. And I'm sure Mary and Joseph had that exact same concern, the exact same concern that any first-time parents would have. But don't you, don't you believe? I mean, I got to think that while they had all of those normal first-time concerns, that at the same time, I mean, I bet Mary and Joseph at the same time had such, such confidence, such hope that come what may, everything was going to be okay. Why? Because they were literally holding not just any baby, they were holding the baby. They were holding the child, the promised one, the coming Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. And I know that from this point of the story, if you know how the story goes, they go through some ups and downs, but all throughout their journey, I gotta believe they had confidence the whole time that come what may, everything was gonna be okay. Because Emmanuel, Jesus, Yeshua, was literally with them in their arms, in their presence. And you gotta believe the God of the universe is gonna take care of us because we are the parents of Jesus. I think this might have been some of the confidence that they had then. And I wonder if this isn't the same confidence that you and I should have today. Because God is with you too. Yeshua is here among us. Emmanuel, God is with us, not just then, but now. And here's the question I really want you to think about today, what would you do if you literally believed that the God of the Bible was with you? What would you do? What kind of courage would you live life with? What kind of hope would you go from this place with? What kind of strength would you draw from that? What would you do? What what, what have you not done that you would do if you knew, if you really believed in your heart of hearts that the God of the Bible was with you? Because this is the story and this is the truth today that there is a savior and his name is Jesus. And we call him Emmanuel. And his name means God is with us now. And by the way, this is the whole gospel. This is it. That God came near to us. Because here's the deal, your sin and my sin, it caused a chasm, a gap. It separated us from God. 
What I've done and what you've done, God couldn't bear. But not only could God not bear your sin, he couldn't bear the consequence of your sin. He couldn't bear the fact that your sin separated you from God. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happens. Every time you and I sin, it separates us from a holy, perfect, unchanging God. And that's a problem for us. It's a huge problem for us that our sin separates us from God. The fact of the matter is, though, there's nothing that you or I could do about the problem. We can't work our way back to God. We can't earn our way back to God. We can't go on enough mission trips, do enough good things. There's nothing that we could do to appease the sin in our life and to make things right on our end. We have done something that we've broken something we can't fix. And God in his mercy and God in his love and God in his grace decided to take matters into his own hands. And what did this God do? What was the master plan? What was he gonna come up with? What was he gonna dream up? What was he gonna do to fix the problem that you and I created? He decided he would put on flesh and come near to us. And this is the miracle of the story, that God came near, that even though it seemed like he was silent, he was working. And that's true in your life and my life today as well. And you may be in a season where it feels like 400 years and God isn't speaking, but even in the silence, God is working. He is planning and preparing a rescue. That's what our God does. The God who was silent was working. The God who seemed distant was drawing near. The God who seemed like he was inactive was actively involved in the situation on every level to bring about a master plan that would save the world. And the plan was Jesus. And today, what I want you and I to do is to behold Jesus and to see in Jesus, to see in his birth, to see in this baby, the face of grace. I want you to to know and to have confidence and to have hope beyond hope that God is with you, that God is with you now. And that if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus of Nazareth, this is the story. This is what we believe. And this is our hope. And I don't know how people, they don't have this hope. I don't, know, I don't know how they put one foot in front of the other because I need this hope. I need to believe this story. I need to know that God came near and that God sent his son as the ultimate sign, the ultimate act of grace to save you and to save me from my sin. Have you ever done this as a parent? I'll just confess, bad parent moment. So just dial in with me. Um, a few months ago, Will and I were at a baseball game. This was a high school baseball game, so real low key. And uh, we get up from the stands to go to the concession stand to get a drink because we're kind of thirsty. And we, we, we get our Gatorade and we come back and we're standing directly behind the backstop, all right? And we're watching as the pitcher throws each pitch and the, the batter is trying to hit the ball. And my son, Will, loves baseball, so you should know that little fun fact. And he's like fixated on this game. Like he's watching it intently every pitch. He's just like watching. He's eating his popcorn, drinking his Gatorade. He's just, we're just standing right there, right behind the backstop. So you can see everything in, in high def detail. And after a few minutes, I'm ready to, to kind of go back to my seat, you know. And I thought he was with me, but I start walking away and I realize he, he's not with me. He's like still watching the game. He's like laser focused on the pitcher and on the batter. And so I got about, I don't know, 20 feet away, not far, but far enough. And I'm standing over here and I'm not watching the game. I'm watching him. 
all right? Because I'm just waiting for that moment when he's gonna flip out and realize I'm not there anymore. I think it's gonna be hilarious. Uh, I know, I'm a terrible parent. And so I'm standing there and I'm watching him watch the game and all of a sudden it happens. You know, he's eating his popcorn, drinking his Gatorade and he looks up to tell me something and I'm not, I'm not there. And over here, I'm just watching him and I can just see the fear flood his face. You know, his eyes get white as saucers. He goes into like panic mode. He's looking around to, to see me and, he, and I'm, just, I'm just blurring in. I'm far enough away, I'm blurred into the background of everything he's taken in until all of a sudden I take a step toward him and his face lights up, right? And he sees me. Ah, there's my dad. And in that one moment, you've seen this, you've been there, you've done this. In that one moment, all fear left his face and all the worry went away. And there was no more panic. There was no more alarm. Why? What changed? He saw his father was near. The same is true for you and me. Whatever fear there is in your life, whatever it is that's holding you back, whatever it is the enemy is holding over you to keep against you, I want you to live as though you believe the God of the Bible is with you. This is the hope that you and I have And this is exactly and precisely what you and I believe. Church, if you would stand with me. God has a plan for your life. And the plan for you is simple. For you to know and for you to believe that come what may, he is with you. And that he will never leave you and that he will never forsake you. That he goes before you and he comes behind And that you will never, ever walk alone. Because God, God came so we could come. God God became human so we could behold him. And today we step into this moment, into this season, into this story. And we remember that God too is with us now. And this gives us the confidence and the hope to live each day as people who not only love the story of Christmas, believe, but believe in the man called Jesus. Man. Behold, Mary and Joseph with a child, with Jesus. Uh, Let's thank the Maxwells again for this incredible work of art. Yeah. As you were watching their initial strokes, did you ever imagine it would look like this in the end? It's hard to believe, especially for those who aren't artistic like me, that as they start making those first strokes, that anything's gonna come of it. And then by the end of the the picture, you have this beautiful image of Jesus. I, I don't know what you think about this, but as I think about that, I think about your life and my life. And right now, as you look at the rough edges and the and the wide strokes that are being marked. You may not be able to know or to believe or to see that there is gonna be a finished product in mind. But I wanna remind you of this truth this morning. God is with you. God is with you now. And he's working all things together for your good and for his glory. So that one day, what we're gonna see on the canvas of your life is a beautiful picture. And if the master painter does his job right, and he will, What we'll see when we see the finished product of your your life is not an image of a better you. It'll be an image of Jesus. This is our hope. 
And this is our prayer in the name of Jesus today. Thank you for being here today. I pray God blesses you today. I pray you go with confidence. The God of the Bible is with you now. Go in peace.